Hi, everybody. I'm Donald James, the Executive Director for SITE, the Center for Integrated Training and Education. And I'm also the host of this podcast, The Blue Ribbon Project. Um, if you've been following us, uh, and, and, and I know a number of you have, uh, we've been doing some book talks. Uh, one of the first things we did under The Blue Ribbon Project was read this book here, The Fundamental Five, uh, revisited. And we did that, uh, five, five Principles in Brooklyn, and myself read this book. Uh, Bertha Faustin from PS 189, Mark Marty from PS 289, uh, Marie Monteau from PS 397, uh, and uh, Marie Chavette from PS 138, as well as Elisa Brown, the principal of Blue Ribbon School, um, the Caton School, PS 249. And we read this book, we studied its components, we had teachers implement these, some of these components that are in this book in classrooms. We observed that and had very rich, deep conversations in an effort to spread wealth and uh, the, the wealth of knowledge that had been learned in PS 249 to other schools. And it was going really well. We will uh, have a part two to this uh, next year, the Ribbon Project. Um, but there's also the opportunity, if you're interested in becoming a member of a Blue Ribbon Project study group, send me an email, donald at psychprograms.com. And uh, we have a list that we're keeping and we will start them next year. It's actually a lot of fun. Uh, we did this during COVID, so we didn't have a chance to visit the actual schools and go into the classrooms. We're hoping to do that next year. What we did do, though, was observe uh, classrooms that were uh, either taped or alive. So, so that was great. Uh, the next book uh, that I've been working on is Inside Teaching um, by Leslie Kennedy. And uh, I read portions of this with Christopher Zublionis. Uh, Chris is a COMAC grad. It's not lost on me as I was uh, superintendent of Comac schools for close to 12 years. Um, Chris is a site grad, which is also not lost on me because at this point now, of course, I'm the executive director for site. And uh, Chris was the assistant superintendent for curriculum instruction in the North Shore schools, and he's been named superintendent. So congratulations, Chris. So we read a, a portion of this book. We had a deep, rich conversation. If you were interested in that conversation, by all means, listen to uh, what follows this introduction to the book study. When that's completed, uh, this book, I'm about a third of the way through, when that's completed, and I'll be doing additional portions with other uh, people in the education world, I'm going to move to uh, where teachers thrive. Um, now, we all know there's a shortage of teachers. There's a lot of reasons there's a shortage of teachers. Uh, some of it, the demonization of the profession, uh, some of it having to do with um, salary and benefits, um, not keeping up. Some of it having to do with people wanting and needing additional flexibility, but we know it's a great profession. And how do we create schools that support people that want to go into the field of education? And how do we share that with people so that they sign up for education programs, teacher education programs, administrative programs, and um, go into the field of education? If you're interested, we do have those programs at site. Uh, that's at the point of this podcast, but www.psychprograms.com and you can learn all kinds of uh, information about the programs that we offer. So it's a really exciting segment. Um, we're beginning to uh, uh, engage additional principals in conversations about these book studies, as well as superintendents and assistant superintendents. If you'd like to be a part, I'll say it again, www. I'm sorry, Donald at site siteprograms.com. All right, Donald at siteprograms.com. Give me a give me a, drop me an email and we'll go from there. Thanks, everybody. Uh, stay tuned for the uh, uh, podcast with Chris Zublionis. Okay, bye now. Welcome to the Blue Ribbon Project. 
podcast. I'm uh, Dr. Donald James, your host, the executive director of SITE. Um, I'm really excited today to have a special guest, uh, Christer, Christopher Zublionis. He's the assistant superintendent for curriculum and instruction in the North Shore School District. Um, he's also a COMAC uh, grad, which is where I was superintendent. Uh, he's a SITE grad as well, uh, which is the company where I'm the executive director. And he was recently named uh, the superintendent of North Shore, and he'll be taking the reins on July 1st. Uh, so welcome, Chris. Uh, thank you for joining me today. Oh, thanks um, for me. <laughs> yeah. I, I, if you could just take a couple minutes to maybe give us a little bit of your background and your, I know we were talking before the podcast about your educational experiences and your loves of, of uh, in, in the field of education. And, um, and then we'll get started because we're going to do a little bit of a book talk today. Uh, we read a chapter together and uh, we'll talk about the things that interest you. Over yeah, to you, well, Chris. Oh, thank you. Thanks, uh, Dr. James, for, for having me here today and uh, pleasure to be here. And um, like you said, it all started in Comac. I had um, uh, kind of came from an underprivileged background living in Comac and uh, was able to really grow Comac High School and amazing teachers who inspired me and, and made me want to be a teacher. Mm. Um, uh, continued my education locally at Stony Brook and then uh, graduate school at, at Teachers College and was fortunate enough to be teaching in the Syosset schools. Uh, where I really discovered a love for uh, leadership, taking on tasks, and uh, entered the leadership program uh, at SITE in uh, 2006. Um, started to get more heavily involved, did my internship with my assistant principals and principals in Syosset, uh, and then moved into this great opportunity in North Shore right after I finished uh, at SITE as a social studies director, then eventually an elementary school principal, um, and now wow. uh, assistant superintendent for, uh, for the past three years here during COVID. <laughs> and definitely yeah. a lot of what I learned uh, at site, um, you know, helped me get through that, um, that unknown terrain. Um, mm. and, um, and then I'm fortunate now to be moving into the superintendency here uh, at North Shore. <laughs> well, that's great. So, so what, what drew you to a leadership and administration? Did, did you have a, cup, a, a sort of a thing that that drew you to the uh, to that kind of work. It is, you know, I really um, became interested when I was a team leader in, at uh, Thompson Middle School in Syosset and mm -hmm. uh, and a coach. I know, and then that sounds kind of um, like they might not go together, but um, I was coaching and doing that work uh, at the same time, doing the work at at um, doing my graduate work uh, before I was in the site program. And I just felt this passion for um, adult education, adult learning, and wanting to better understand why teachers were doing what they were doing, uh, the power of curriculum uh, in shaping what was happening in the classroom. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so started to take on leadership uh, roles in curriculum writing, in some professional uh, learning opportunities, um, in Syosset. Uh, eventually in at the graduate level as well, and just saw the power of that collaborative spirit and, you know, kind of mimicking what happens in the classroom, the best teaching and learning is inquiry driven, it's student driven, in this case, it's teacher driven, um, and really trying to be um, innovative and, and have conversations around what, what could be possible, what could happen um, mm. in the classroom, not necessarily what is happening uh, to solve problems. You know, that's, that's interesting because that leads us right into uh, the chapter that we read um, and the book, 
which, um, and I, I talked about this in other podcasts, is inside teaching. I had a stack of books here that I read. Um, <laughs> you would think, I'd, I thought I'd have more time to read when I wasn't superintendent anymore, but this job <laughs> has kept me really busy, which uh, I love, because it also is part and parcel of some of the things that you're talking about. Uh, what's happening in classrooms? Why is it happening in classrooms? What do teachers think about that? I've always had an interest in what teachers do in the classroom and why, right? Why? What do they think, right? Because they're the ones in the classroom. So, so this this book talks about that, and basically, it's about why why teaching and learning um, are is sort of um, resistant to reform efforts. And I use that word reform efforts as opposed to change because I don't know that the teaching is resistant to change. I think it's resistant to reform efforts. It's a little different. So uh, we read this first chapter together. Why don't we start with what you found most interesting? You know, the gap between um, ideals from outside the profession versus what's happening every day. I think there's a certain reality to what teachers are facing every day that might not be understood by those Mm -hmm. who think they understand because they've gone through the process, they've gone through schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you're working in a school every day and in the classroom, I think what's what's hard is, and we saw this definitely escalate through COVID, is that we're increasingly asking teachers to take on roles that might not be the original purpose or intention of schooling. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we find ourselves, I always think about college football fan, I think of Nick Saban, you know, do your job. You know, what is sometimes it's really hard to know as a teacher what your job is because there are so many mm. different roles that you have to take on. And sometimes I do think, and I think the chapter spoke to that, like reform efforts don't necessarily take that reality into account. Yeah. Um, you know, another thing I was thinking when I was reading it is that sometimes the greatest changes that I've seen now as an administrator with teachers in classrooms is um, those changes that come from teachers watching other teachers, lesson study intervisitation because it's they're coming from a place of um, understanding the reality. Uh, there's like a street cred, so to speak, when a teacher watches another teacher who's practicing. Mm-hmm. Um, so how you, you know, how, it's it might not necessarily be what the reform is, but but how it happens. And you saw that like yeah. the common core, you know, there's there's that what versus the how. Mm-hmm. And I think that that kind of got that should have been separated maybe a little bit more in the whole marketing. Mm-hmm. Of the yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. You know, and, and even the what and the how is the why. Yes. Right. So, so teachers want why, why are we doing this? And, um, and I, I agree with you that outside reformers um, often think they understand what's happening in classrooms, uh, but, but the realities of the classroom may be somewhat different and asking somebody to shift their practices uh, while they're driving the bus is not as simple as it sounds, not to mention the fact that they are meeting with success. And, and I think part of the question then becomes how you define success. Yes. Right? Some people divide, define success based on uh, standardized test scores. Some people base it on you know, project-based learning activities. Some people base it on, you pick it, right? There are a lot of different. And so, and teachers become resistant and, and frankly, I, I agree with them. I understand. And I did not agree with Common Core and the way it was brought in or the way it was done and uh, sort of being forced on schools. I was an outspoken, uh, you, you know, person who said, I don't think we should be doing it this way. Um, I think we should, first of all, I think homegrown curriculum is the best. 
make a determination about what you want students to know, be able to do and truly understand, and then decide how you're going to get them there. And they didn't do it. They brought in the curriculum. Didn't, and all they, all they wanted kids to be able to know, do, and understand was pass the test. Yeah. Right? And do it every year. A flawed concept. The other thing, and, and I want to get your thoughts on this, um, the tranquility in the classroom. Right? So <clears throat> classrooms need tranquility. And it talked the book Mary Mary Kennedy talks about that quite a bit, and and this idea that the, the disruptions that occur in classrooms interrupt learning. Do you have any thoughts on that? I remember, and I you know I had taught in an amazing middle school, you know, and I think I remember I used to count the actual time on tasks that I had with mm. interruptions. Some for good reasons, assemblies that were amazing and things like that, but classroom interruptions. Uh, it kind of goes back to the multiple roles. Sometimes teachers are asked to play outside of their true purpose or true mission, you know, getting back mm -hmm. to your why. Um, I mean, I think what we're discovering now, and this is really interesting, is um, the neuroscience behind what you just said. Mm -hmm. You know, it's that tranquility, part, you know, that frontal, prefrontal cortex, that part of your brain, um, and, and the connection between emotions and learning. That all relates to what you just said yeah. Uh, and reform efforts, you know, if, if not considering that could actually interrupt that, that need that, that mm. students and teachers have. Um, but, but yeah, I think that true learning needs that. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 um, it's what it's fun in my opinion and, and from experience and studies is I think classrooms are one of the places that need fewer interruptions in any other place. Yeah. Yet they get more interruptions than any other place. And some of the interruptions come from outside the classroom, right? That's, you know, the intercom rings or somebody makes an announcement or, but there are all kinds of other interruptions that who has to go out for a pullout session, who has to use the restroom, who, who is getting up and walking around the room because they can't sit right now. All natural components of a classroom. However, every time that occurs, it disrupts thinking. Right. And the concentration, not only of the teacher, but of the students. Right. Because of that distractibility. So getting back on task. And, and I know in the book, it talks about how teachers sometimes avoid going deep. Um, and I think that that lack of of interruptions actually causes that. How do you go deep when there's constant interruptions? So I don't know about you, but I need an opportunity to sit and work on something um, without interruption so that I can go deeper. Right. And, and I don't know that our classrooms allow that. I think when you see a lesson where that is happening, like I'm thinking of certain Socratic seminars mm -hmm. that I've seen in our schools here in North Shore and great discussions, um, that I had as a student in Comac or in college setting, um, you, you can actually see that happening and you see students verbalizing their thinking. Um, and I think, you know, to your point, you know, it can become a matter of, I feel like the text speaks to this, like survival. When you have those interruptions, um, teachers can easily, and I did it myself, you know, get into survival mode mm. rather than deep learning mode. Sure. I, I, you know, I, we talked about this and I know you mentioned it here, certainly during COVID um, that occurred. And, and while students were learning or trying to learn online those interruptions could come from anywhere in their home, yes. right? And it could be the dog barking or the phone that just rang, you know, while I was talking to you. I don't know if you guys could hear that, but my phone rang. <laughs> um, 
and and you have to sort of reset yourself to make sure that you're concentrating and staying on task and going deep into that conversation. So that tranquility, I, I find that interesting. I also find interesting that there's a part in here that um, the sort of disconnect between reformers and what teachers think. And I haven't really quite figured that out, but you did talk a little bit before the podcast about that. Um, maybe you could share with us what your thinking is on that disconnect. Yeah, I think, you know, and this has been encouraging more research now that that has been coming out is based on action research mm -hmm. and is based on uh, models of wisdom research where it's more qualitative in nature. And you're seeing, and I think this, the text here speaks to it, um, that there's a certain, certain currency that teachers find when it comes from a practitioner when it when it's grounded in in the reality of of what they're uh, the work that they're doing, so I think um, you know that is a missing voice in a lot of reform movements. You know these re reforms might come from politicians, uh, might come from from non educators, um, and I think you know some of what teachers are um, really going through on a daily basis could be so helpful to yeah. operationalizing the reform in a meaningful in a meaningful way. So I think that mm -hmm. voice is just yeah. necessary and sometimes missing. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and one of the things, and, and Mary talks about it in here, is uh, time teaching. And uh, it ranges around the world uh, from 60% to 90%. And in the United States, it's typically about 80%. So if you've got 10 periods in a day, you're teaching eight of them. The other two periods, if you have a lunch break, that only leaves one other period. And so you're doing all kinds of things like calling parents, uh, doing prep work, running things at the Xerox machine, you name it. So when does a teacher have time to sit down and talk about their practice and, and, and be, be engaged in conversations about reforming what's happening in the classroom? And they may very well want to change some things that are happening in their classroom, yet Getting to the point where they feel comfortable changing their practice takes time. And they simply don't have time. And uh, I didn't, we call it teaching. And, and there is certainly a social expectation that teachers are teaching. And all this other stuff happens at another time. Yet realistically, when will that time occur? And I know there's criticism about that. They should be doing it when they're not teaching. And I, I get all that, except realistically, that's not the way this works. And they need time with their peers, right? As you said, right? To engage in conversation. And that's so, it, like, that's where that teacher voice, like, so, like, what you just mm -hmm. articulated could be so powerful. Like, if the structures were informed by doing having professional learning time built in that's collaborative to the school day yeah. um, you know different models of schooling um block scheduling things like that thinking outside the box yeah 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 whether you give them a period another period somewhere during the day or uh release time which i know is hard especially now with the shortage you can't get subs so who's going to cover their class uh, i get that um can you set up summer workshops and we know, and I know some people are going to disagree with me that you know, I think teachers, a lot of them work in the summer yeah. um, or they provide childcare for their children. And so asking them to be engaged in reforming their practices over the summer is not that simple. 
And, and whether we agree with these issues or conditions or not, it to me is almost irrelevant. What's really relevant is these are the conditions, right? These are the conditions under which we work. And if we just uh, admire the problem, which is, well, we can't find time, we can't find time, we can't find time, well, then we won't find solutions to that. And I wonder if that's part of what's keeping people from entering the field of teaching right now, because there's, as you know, better than, than I do right now, is that people aren't entering the field. There just aren't enough people to cover our classes anymore. You got any thoughts on that, Chris? Yeah, you know, and it's, it's definitely gotten harder. Um, I think not, I probably started a little bit before COVID and it's, and definitely escalated since both substitute mm. teachers, like you said, but certainly teachers and administrators. Um, I think it goes back to that original question about, you know, like, what is the job? What is the mission? And, and mm. um, you think about, to your point, the corporate world or the world outside of education, you think about um, Google and, you know, these companies, what they're doing, they provide exactly what you're talking about. Um, and so why not, you know, look for models of ways we can provide that for, for people who are developing our most important natural resource, our children, you know? Right, right. Um, yeah. And yeah. I think, I think that's that the lifestyle piece and the ability to focus and do well, I think part of, you know, the shortages, people want to be successful in what they do. They want to see t- students grow. And if the conditions aren't, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. them to that, and there are obstacles there that are getting in the way, it's definitely going to make the field less attractive. Um, yeah. And I, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I think the field is, is, I mean, I love teaching. I've, I've always loved it. I love teaching students. I loved coaching. I love working with adults and adult learners. I just find that engagement really fulfilling. And I think that some of these outside factors are causing some people to shy away. And um, I actually find the fulfillment there if you can just get past the idea that there are these distractions. Okay, there's going to be distractions. In my opinion, there's distractions in every field. Right. Right. Whether you're a doctor and you're dealing with the, the new insurance issues or you're, you know, you're an attorney and you're dealing with changing <laughs> laws or pick it. And, you know, and I have, uh, you know, my own children are in some of those very fields and they, they're dealing with certain issues. So going into the field of education, is just to me, um, and, 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 and engaging in the conversation about your work, I think would actually bring more people to the field, right? So, but managing that time, because right, there's competing structures, right? We got those structures, here's the periods, here's the number of kids, here's, and so in order to give them release time, we need people. Well, we don't have any people right now, right? Um, <laughs> Psych, and I'm, not, I'm going to do a little pitch. Psych does prepare teachers. So those of you that are listening that want to be a teacher, uh, we have teacher ed programs that uh, you could go through and become a teacher and, and sort of lend itself to what's happening in your classrooms. And I do think that, that this may be the opportunity for us as a field to stop and pause and say, hey, how can we make conditions better for teachers so that they can then be more effective in the classroom? As opposed to teachers aren't effective in the classroom, what can we do to them? Let's stop that. That's a, that's a deficit model. Let's look at a different model, which is, hey, there's great people. There's great people teaching. I mean, I was in a school in the city the other day in New York City. The kids were asking me if I was the new teacher because they haven't had a teacher in months. They get a different sub all the time. The principal cannot find a teacher. And I, I you know, we do a job search uh, a service and we couldn't find anybody for her. We just couldn't. I was just saying to somebody and it, it, I was 
talking about more about leadership, but it certainly holds for teachers. Like the turnover uh, is so destructive. And I think about like the, in a, in a classroom having itinerary teachers or, you know, mm-hmm. the, the power of what you're saying. I think, you know, teachers too are drawn to the field because of their creative, that creative impulse, that, that, that desire mm-hmm. to never give them design. And some of these reform efforts, as the text mentions, you know, gets in the way of that. You know, as a yeah. site grad, I'd mentioned too, that, you know, you're learning from practitioners who are in the fields, who current mm-hmm. principals, superintendents, assistant superintendents. And so there's like a reality-based approach yeah. with a group of people also in your cohort who are going through it together. So it really mm-hmm. is, it creates the, the space for innovation and, and like design thinking around what's actually happening. Isn't that great? Um, and that, that's the other thing in, in administration for those that are interested in becoming administrators. You actually do have more time when you're not dealing with the everyday practice of running the school and management um, or putting out fires because there's always something that you got to handle. There is some more flexibility with regard to your time and engaging in your your work around what's happening in your schools. And you have a hand in how you might figure out how to release teachers and being creative. I was with a principal the other day. I'll, I'll tell you her name. Her name is Elisa Brown. Woman's brilliant. She's a New York City uh, principal. And she has put together teams of teachers that, that want to work together on particular problems of practice. Yes. And she has brought her school uh, really to the precipice of greatness. I mean, they won a blue ribbon last year. There's a high ESL population. Um, there are no discipline problems in the school to speak of. The teachers are engaged. The teachers love their work. It can be done. It's a matter of, as you said, stability, right? And, and finding ways, creative ways to get these teachers involved in the conversation, right? Because to me, and Peter Senge talks about that, right? Peter Senge talks about if you really want people, you can always force people to comply. Yes. Right? And you, they'll do it. And they won't even be mad at you. They'll do it. If you tell them what to do, they'll do it. Teachers are like that. I, I've, never, I've never met a teacher that comes to work every day not wanting to do a good job. Never met one. Every one of them comes to work wanting to do a good job. Right? And right. Does, it, does it always occur the way they want? No. But we've talked about all these factors. But how do we engage them in the yeah. conversation so that they can tell us what they need? Right. There's another book I was reading. It's called Trust in Schools. And it talks about teachers and, and when teachers complain and, and sometimes administrators get frustrated by that. Well, teachers aren't complaining for no good reason. They have a reason. Can you fix it? Maybe, maybe you can't, but can you engage them? So I'm, I'm going to stop talking and let you weigh in on that a little bit and tell me what you think, Chris. I see it. I was going to say, you know, I think I, the word data is so loaded, but I think what you're, what you're, what I'm, um, hearing in, in those examples and, the, you know, the text is that's some of the best forms of information that as a principal or as a, as a an administrator, you, you could use is that the feedback from your teachers, but also mm-hmm. said about investing them in the process. We have a, we have an amazing um, professional development committee that we, our rule is to keep it real. Like even me mm-hmm. as like a central office administrator, like the goal is to keep the conversation real. And we've developed some really interesting ideas for structures like you're talking about to have an open, honest, and safe conversation. And I think, um, you know, the leaders like the one you were describing, the principal, um, I'm sure has created a safe space to generate some of the solutions and those ideas. 
Yeah, um, yeah. And it's like we, uh, me and the superintendent I'm working with right now, you know, we use this term trickle down emotionomics. It's like you, that if you set that spirit as the leader, it trickles down to the work, you know, with the teachers to the students. Um, and that's, you know, that's not an original idea. That's like the leadership texts that you've been talking about. Um, yeah, but I love that. I love that. Yeah. Power of relationships. Mm. That's that tone. It, it trickles down to the kids. Isn't that interesting, right? That the relationships, and we always come back to that. And you, you know, and there's a there's a saying: without the conversation, there's no relationship. Yeah. And without time, there's no conversation. Right. And um, we can build structures as administrators, but if we don't talk to our teachers, often those structures fail. Because the teachers say that doesn't work for me. Oh, I, I'll set up time. We'll keep you for a period every day after school, and we'll pay you. And the teacher says, "You can pay me all you want. I have to go home to my kids, right. <laughs> or I have to grade my papers, or I have, or I coach, or you know." And there's a lot of ors, all legitimate. And so, they may have other ideas about structures we can build. So we build a structure based on what we think will work for them, and it's a fix that fails. And yeah. And we say, well, I don't understand. It's like when we build parent workshops and nobody comes. <laughs> we need to ask the parents what they want to workshop, right? We don't decide the workshop. They need to decide. It's really interesting. And um, that top-down piece, I'm, I'm not a fan of top-down. I want to know what people think. And I can't always deliver what they want, right? Because there, there are other variables, right? Whether it's their financial barrier, uh, uh, barriers or political barriers, or you pick it. But I, but I love to know what, I want to know what teachers think. I mean, that's one of the reasons I like this work. I get to talk, what do you think? What should our programs decide? Look, one of the reasons we have the largest admin program in the state is because we built a program that meets the needs of our students. Largest counseling program, because we meet the needs of our students. They want to be here. And because it's going to train them and then they're going to what? Get a great job. Right. They're going to get it. Well, just look, I mean, and I'm, listen, I, I joined Slate because they, they had that before I got here. I'm only with site about what, five, six months. Um, that was one of the adjuncts, which by the way, um, you should consider if you <laughs> find the time, you know, uh, we're always looking for good adjuncts. I'd love to. The program grows. So, uh, <laughs> so we'll put you in there. So I, I don't want to keep you too long. Um, and I also want to be cognizant of the listeners, uh, before we close though, is there anything that you wanted to add or, um, or that I missed, um, it's not a I, test, but if you had anything. No, I, I think uh, you said, I want to go back to something you said about the, the why, you know, and we've been, you know, everybody has seen the Simon Sinek video and, you know, mm -hmm. compares it to Apple, the corporate world, but it's just so relevant to teaching. And I think like going back to the, to the text too, it's like, that's, it's the absence of why I think in mm -hmm. these reforms. And, and when you're mm -hmm. answering that why question, you have to involve the teachers, but also like that difference between, you know, like the, what, the, the, what, and how you do it. I mean, involving teacher voice. I mean, I think that's from my conversation with you today. I think that's the big takeaway. And I think, like you said, the site program is, and I remember this, it was 15 years ago that mm. I did it, but it was empowering because there were true conversations. I wasn't finding myself adapting to like a proscribed curriculum. We had some structures in place, but it was very adaptive to the reality of, yeah. of what we were in and where we'd be going. So that's great. You know, uh, Chris, the, the field is lucky to have people like you. Um, going into the superintendency because it, it is an extremely challenging job. And um, uh, I did it for 20 years, loved every minute of it. Um, and, and there are some great people entering the field and going into that superintendency. 
uh, if you ever need anything from me, you know, if you need a word of advice, and I know you have great mentors. I, I know Tom Dolan is there and uh, he's amazing. Um, I learned a lot from Tom uh, uh, over the years. So, uh, but if you ever need anything, and I'm serious, if you, if you want to become an adjunct, uh, we would love to have you. Uh, and of course, not to be lost on this is uh, Chris is also a COMAC uh, grad, which is where I uh, served as superintendent for a dozen years or so. Uh, Chris, thank you very much for taking the time. Uh, I truly appreciate it. Uh, North Shore is lucky to have you. Oh, thank you. It's an honor All to right. be here today. Thank you. All right. Listeners, we're signing off. Uh, have a great day and we'll see you next time. I'm going to continue with um, Inside Teaching uh, with my next guest. I'm not going to announce it. It'll be a surprise. Thank you very much, Chris. Have Thank a great you. day. And for more information on our podcast, please be sure to follow us on all social media platforms at Site Programs. That's C-I-T-E-P-R-O-G-R-A-M-S. Till next time. Bye.